Cool. Uh, Rusty here, live on the pod. Craig Morris in a show home. Um, how are you, mate? You well? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Already been running with you this morning. Uh, you and AB Zander joined me out on the, uh, on, the, on the trails this morning. And what did you make of AB? Was he all right? Yeah, I feel a bit useless being here. I guess he was, um, yeah, I was very much behind his rhetoric. So, yeah, no, he was good. He's got a beautiful voice as well, hasn't he? Yeah, stunning. He good guy. He actually, uh, he actually looks a little bit like you as well. <laughs> um, however, he's still trapped in his uh, apartment in Toulouse. So, uh, but yeah, we got good, we had real good feedback on the AB uh, podcast. Lots of listeners and people are definitely, uh, and maybe it is his enticing voice. I think it could be very soothing, but no, I mean, yeah, very humble guy. And yeah, kind of, I could align with a lot of what he was saying um, from being, being a, uh, well, let's not say a failed athlete. I'm not sure I ever got beyond enthusiastic um, canoeist. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I can empathise with his journey. Well, thanks for being on. It's taken a bit of time. Um, to, the delay in the Olympics has obviously helped us. What um, Do you want to give people a bit of a <clears throat> potted history of how said uh, failed athlete became uh, Olympic coach? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, I am... Um, yeah, one of two boys, uh, five years junior to my brother, got dragged kicking and screaming in canoeing when I was a kid. Um, I was more of a team sports sort of guy. Um, here I am, ironically, many years later, yeah, like on the cusp of coaching at the games. Um, yeah, kind of all right as a paddler, I suppose, national level, nothing more really. Um, kind of got injuries a little bit here and there around my university years and didn't really know what to do myself went traveling I was lazy um in hindsight never knew the why behind my paddling uh, the wife would come in from working night or the, the now wife would come in and from working nights and I'd just stay in bed yeah I had no no sort of connection to why I was doing the paddling side of things so um yeah just got dragged by a collar by a kind of guy called Alan Edge, who was doing a bit of coach development at the time, shuffled me through my um, qualifications uh, as they were then, very different now. Um, and yeah, just scrapped around in voluntary work um, into the pathway, filling in for someone after a restructure, probationary period, and kind of worked my way up through right from, I guess, yeah, very junior ranks to, to senior level now, um, the British team. Nice, well done. What, what? Tell me about the why. What was the What was the problem? What was going on? What What do you look back on now and think you would have done differently, or has it, has it all worked out well? I wouldn't have, wouldn't do anything differently. Um, I think I'm clear on what I don't know now and what I didn't know then. Um, I guess the pivotal moment a few years ago came. I understand that I'm. It's two two key things where I do the job. I guess um, I'm absolutely fascinated by people. Um, how I behave, and I'm obsessed with learning. Um, well, I didn't know that back then. I kind of never was really part of a program, never had a coach as such for a sustained period of time. So I had no relationship, no emotional connections to anyone for the sport. Um, and, yeah, so no one to get up and, and meet in the morning um, to connect with around a project um, of learning. So I think in hindsight, I would probably fit quite well into modern day modern day programs um, with, a, with a performance team around you all headed and geared in a direction that back then, yeah, I wasn't self-aware enough to know that. So my somewhat enthusiastic career petered out quite quickly. Oh, 
what a shame. I um because <clears throat> it was one of my questions and one of the things I'm curious about is <clears throat> you obviously would work one on one with people a, a fair amount of the time, I guess. Um I don't. So one of my biggest kicks is from being around lots of people and teams and you know the dynamics of that and and you don't have so much of that. Clearly you have some people around the the paddler and a routine, but I mean what's that like just kind of working one on one with someone? Yeah, I'm aware we've still never got you down to Lee Valley, Rusty. Because I don't um, want to go and hang with just one person, though. Yeah, you told me it wasn't chaotic or noisy enough. I think <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit of chaos. Um, yeah, I mean it's fascinating. So I've I've worked with bigger groups than I have now. I currently work one to three. So like you say, a lot of my day will look like one to one quite often. Um, I guess for me, who's quite quite drawn to the relationship side is kind of why I'm, why I'm in the job more than the performance side itself. Gives, gives a lot of time to, to get deep, to get understanding, to connect and to go on a journey together. So um, yeah, that gives me the buzz. Um, and it means you can invest a lot of time into getting pretty deep into some cool stuff. Um, so yeah, whilst it can make you lazy, I think as well, in terms of, I think some of the constraints around time that you guys might have in a team sport, or means the creation of the environment has to be bob on. I think um, it has pros and cons. Um, I do, I do like bringing them together when I can. Um, has its has its pros and cons, but uh, that's a lot of fun as well. If you were coaching rugby, I mean, if if I said right, come on, you're coming along, you're coaching, you're coaching the under 15s on a on a Sunday morning. What would you be thinking? Would you be excited about that? Would you be nervous? Um, would you be thinking? Well, I mean. Would you be worried about the content? I mean, what would you be thinking about? I mean, yeah. My entire relationship with rugby um, comes, uh, my entire knowledge would, would be from you and your podcasts and webinars. So, oh, <laughs> so I would back after you. Would be directly proportional to yourself. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be pretty excited, pretty nervous. I think I like a challenge. Um, yeah, I'd be pretty up for that. It'd be quite playful, I hope, quite fun. Um, not much shouting. Uh, I'd, I'd try and try and yeah, get the environment nice, but the ability to be fluid in the session to let it go where where the guys want to take it um, or the girls. So yeah, maybe we'll do it one day. No, yeah, we should do a job swap. Yes, we did. I mean, we did just talk about it. I mean, what a great moment now for us to get people from different worlds to actually have you chat to some rugby coaches and go well. Here's some stuff I'm thinking about because you would have some much more, you know, uh, honed skills around the individual stuff and vice versa for <clears throat> someone from outside canoeing to go, I think this is how I would coach it. Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's fascinating. Um, my, uh, our physiologist joked that uh, I'd become a rugby coach when I told him I couldn't take a call the other night because I was on to, uh, I think it was the other afternoon with Cass on. Um, I mean, that's a good example for me. Like a lot of our sport is about, well, depends how much you go into it, but a balance of analysis and how much you feed that into the process with the athlete. Um, so to see how other worlds analyze performance um, and opposition, and it's obviously in an individual sport, that's slightly different for us, but it happens. Um, it's just fascinating. And there's, there's undertones and principles that cross over the stuff you haven't seen, which is really, really, really crucial. Um, and it, all our worlds are the same, you know. I noticed the sniper on the hill. I think, was it Nick Hill firing in the stats one after another on the chat on, uh, on Friday? Um, 
yeah, you, we get that balance within our team as well. So it's really interesting just having that removed nature where you don't understand what you're seeing. Um, and some of the best feedback I've had have been people coming into our environment who don't understand the sport. And I guess it's just those wow moments where you go, oh, Christ, yeah, just been doing that because it's been done. Or others are doing it or it fits into this jigsaw nicely that keeps management happy or, or other groups happy around the environment. But, yeah, fantastic to get different, different angles on stuff. Nice, and we'll talk about one of those different angles, Mr. Richard Cheatham, MBE, in a second. What um, what type of stuff do you do you measure? So I think when we first met, this might have been uh, something we chatted about. But what do you? Uh, w- what is the stuff you measure in, in paddling? Oh yeah, all sorts. So we do we do the white water version, as you know, around as it was labelled on Twitter by a flatwater colleague the other day. As uh, I think they were vertically hanging cones, he was giving me banter around. Wasn't he? <laughs> uh, it's not far off. So I mean, probably a bit of context. Their sport is. How would I describe it? It's a bit, it's a bit like navigating a storm at sea, except um, the treasure map has been laid out for you, and, and it's like orienteering. You have to go through key markers along the route, so they're dumbing it down into a bit, a bit less playful playfulness. Um, so, in terms of what we measure, I mean, it might be. A, I might watch it more if it was like treasure, and there, you had to grab treasure off the pole as you went down, and and and, and put it oh, in wow. your little knapsack. Well, I recommend you you fire paddles up into YouTube. Really? Um, yeah. In terms of a non-linear environment, back in the eighties, uh, whoever designed that process was was way ahead of their practice on the riverbank. Oh no! Working uh, it for sure. Um, oh, we measure all sorts. I mean, it, it's a bit of a minefield. Like you can get into stuff, and we're probably guilty of of taking in too much data and doing very little with it. And we're in a process now in the last couple of years of really taking a step back and working backwards and trying to say what's useful. Um, I would say as a coaching team, we're given a lot of freedom in our role, which is pretty cool. I'm not sure how I'd deal with not having that in a different environment. So it's kind of the data comes through the filter into the relationship as, as the coach athlete self pleases. So I will measure... We'll measure speed across different gate sequences. Um, we'll measure penalties, penalty stats across different athletes. Um, all sorts, really. I guess the more technical stuff that can be got into but is very expensive is, is the acceleration data, um, force data through a paddle, through a course. The challenge for us, Rusty, is that our, our environment is different every time. So every course they compete on is completely different. And that's same without every, the Same as every rugby match. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, and that's obviously without the fluidity of the, I guess the water is their opponent, um, yeah. for, for, for better simile. Um, so yeah, ever-changeable. So getting sustainable data actually makes sense is, is a challenge and you can overcook it and, and dig too far. There are some simple, simple ways of doing stuff, but it should be based around what an individual wants and needs, I think. And is the, is the, Data individualized, so is it like you would give different information to to Adam as you would to Ailey, and would it would they get the same information? <clears throat> would you be mindful of how you present it? What's what does that look like for you? Absolutely. Um, so there would be some generic data that's made available across more longitudinal stuff, I guess. So how we monitor performance over time. Um, one thing we try to measure as best as we can is where is the sport at that current point in time and where's it headed um 
a lot of language in in Olympic sport around that. It's labelled as what it takes to win. Um, in terms of the individual stuff, yeah, I guess I'm in a fortunate position working with with analysis very close to me and very available that you can individualise against projects. So I think it has to be motivational, has to make sense, and has to be transferable if we're going to bother looking at stuff for me. So it, once an athlete has established the projects they're working on, and the analysis has to support the project rather than anything else. I guess the more generic stuff will then be posed through me um, or to them, depending on the individual, how much they like data um, to ask questions. I use it as a bit of a confirmation of some of my biases of what I see, um, but also to, to disrupt or to rupture some of those things by posing questions to me and challenge. Something I put a lot of pressure on the analysts to do is, is kind of, yeah, Find me something I don't know or find something that proves me wrong. Um, they're pretty good at that. Yeah, and a good use of an analyst. So well done to you as a coach. When you said the athletes decide a project, what do you mean by that? Um, yeah, I guess their environment in an individual sport. We try and cater for the individual as much as possible. So um, working backwards, I mean, a big part of your existence in my life, which you probably won't know, is is following meeting you and a couple of other guys, Cheats and a few others. <laughs> Embarrassingly, I hadn't really assessed what canoe slalom was until, until a few of those meetings. Um, <laughs> and then as you guys, in your work with hockey, call it working backwards from the end in mind, is kind of like projects have to, have to align to what you're actually being demanded of on a race run. Um, so anything regarding key decision-making, adaptability, things like that, planning off the bank, for you know what you're processing in terms of cues and how you adapt in the run this as i say the water's always moving so there's no one right way um, effectively you just got to get to the bottom fast and incurring no penalties doesn't matter how pretty it looks which was something i used to focus on way too much yeah. um so we try and give ownership of that because every i mean i don't know about you but i've never met i've never met a clone a human clone never met the same version of myself twice i don't think so um, try and make it individual because the more say they have in it um, I was on set of webinar last week and one of our sprint coaches was noticing doing some playful stuff creative stuff at home in this lockdown and she she said oh, my biggest standout is that the more choice they have in stuff the more pride they take in doing it and I guess that's something that we see see in our environment and seeing human behavior full stop so yeah try and give them control of their projects so we look for opportunities of leadership Opportunities of decision making, problem solving, um, adaptability, um, challenge and support. So whether that's whether that's owning their their projects or bringing those to their team. Like I say, we're fortunate enough to have quite a performance support team around them. So big part of our environment is is how do they how do they lock in, drive, and and, and make build passion in their team. I guess so they all feel a part of it. Um, Cool. I'm going to give you some choice. I've got three areas uh, which strands we might go down. One is the um, it's a session. What would happen before, during, after from a new coaching point of view? The other one is the kind of adaptability, the mental side of it. Um, I'm curious about that. And the third one is performance sport team. How do you work? Um, and clearly, this is critical in lots of the Olympic sports um, around in a, in a really kind of I heard the word transdisciplinary way, so I'm going to use that word because... Uh, I heard that this morning. Yeah. yeah. So uh, 
I, I normally heard inter when I'm going for trans. Um, it's a big word for you, mate. Big word. Really, it's hard to explain. Ed Hall would be impressed. <laughs> so we'd either go um, uh, yeah, trans, trans uh, disciplinary, mental side of it, or a coaching session typical. Which one do you want to start with? Let's go down the adaptability side. Cool. I think that's how we met originally, wasn't it? It is. It is. Massively. Yeah, and it's, it's, it resonates with me, because I think you... I think the role you played at that time for me was I was probably a bit lost in self of, of knowing stuff or thinking I knew stuff, wanting to explore stuff, but being quite inhibited in practice. And I think the role the likes of yourself played at that time was quite, quite crucial in terms of freeing me up to commit to some stuff around practice design. So, yeah, happy to get into that. Cool, let's go. Hit me. Cool. So, so adaptability, yeah. So... I'll use an example of a, of a paddler I've worked with. So um, I guess as we chatted, much like rugby, every, every situation we face is new and fresh. Um, whilst there may be some principles that, that exist across them, um, yeah, I guess I, I personally had practised from a canoeing artistically looks like this when it's bloody cool. Um, and therefore we need to drill it to look like that. And I was drilling it on flat water with young adolescent kids who should have been having much more fun doing something else. Um, absolutely. <laughs> I look back on it now. You know, I think you talk about how much of a percentage better coach you are now. I'm just embarrassed, personally. Yeah, I think I'm in some different universe now and I've still got a long way to go. So I guess the biggest picture was actually defining what the sport was for me. Um, understand what it is, work backwards and then ensure as much of that is in practice design as, as possible and as much as it is threaded into what you do. So I care less now about what it looks like as long as it's functional and achieving the task. Um, I care more about if they're able to adapt and find different solutions to the same challenge, to the same scenario. Um, you know, I'm, I'm staring at my desktop here. I've got a little adaptability folder that celebrates just that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I you love know, when the fact you've got an adaptability folder alphabetically organized with all oh, it's definitely alphabetically organized, <laughs> <laughs> but it's prominent, it's prominent <laughs> on the desktop with about a thousand other things. It's a chaotic, they say a chaotic mind um, is the same as you, your office, don't they? So, um, yeah, so a lot of the work we do now will be around um, adaptability. So, as sport, they get the opportunity to, to see the course the day before. Um, but no practice upon it. So then, then they navigate based on just, I guess, what they see, um, how they relate to that from their own paddling style. They might get to see some demo runners, as they're called. Um, but essentially, they've, they've got, to, got to get on and live it. So a lot of the training is around how best do you prime them for doing that. Uh, when I reflect on my coach, and I work with one athlete who I'm pretty sure I coached the opposite out of that athlete over time. So she is... She is like, yeah, if you go, right, that, that's, that's the scenario, that's the course in our language, off you go. First run every time is the best. Um, first run every time. And I think part of my mistakes and my, yeah, crappy philosophy over time in coaching has led her to overthink over, you know, too much metacognition on the run um, <coughs> over time. But yeah, so I've had a bit of a wow moment in the last three years where I've completely flipped it on his head and just playing to people's strengths and playing to what the sport is. 
Nice, that's cool. It's a great story. Um, yeah, I think my, and it would be the same in rugby, we, we focus way too much on did we stick to the plan, <clears throat> which is weird when we lost the game. So, I mean, I, I kind of get it if we won the game. There'd still be an element of the plan worked. But when we lost the game, it's probably like, well, who came up with the plan? Um, how did we adapt the plan? Uh, you know, what did we notice? And I think, yeah, that's why I love your sport is that it has, like, it's the same as rugby. Every moment is completely different. It's never the yeah, same. Yeah, well, I remember, I remember the first time we met. So I, I'm, I was presenting with Ailey, I think. Yeah, um, with Ailey. Who's blasting a real cool trail of slalom inspires with young female paddlers at the minute, which is really good to see. Um, so I think you asked the question, what's more important? Uh, no, you said, oh, what defines the, what's characteristics of the best paddlers in the world? Are they the best planners or the best at adapting in the moment? And she, I think she pretty much went white as a sheet at that point. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, about, we did connect, we did connect over it. I wasn't working with her at that point, but I'm, I am guilty by association because she had been with me for the previous two or three years. So um, her answer was definitely predicated by my, uh, my influence. Um, and I think, yeah, that, was, that stuck in my head on the drive home and probably had a big factor in change in the way I looked at the sport. Um, and yeah, generally it is that we, we can't even agree, which I really like, on what canoe slalom is. So we go out running as coaches a fair bit. And in the summer last year, I brought it, brought it in, you know, sort of 10K into a run when everyone's tired, just, just disrupt a little. Um, but I like the fact that we can't agree in many ways because there isn't any one way. So we shouldn't agree. And that brings different perspectives um, and different influence upon the way people do stuff, I guess. Um, we got a performance support team or mental side of the game we got transdisciplinary or mental let's go transdisciplinary be careful how i say that i feel (laughs) i thought that was going to be last interdisciplinary in our world i think it would be Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um yeah what are we doing in that space so yeah like i said very fortunate we have um a good circle around us um and a big part of my role is really to feel like it is a team, even though we're an individual sport. Um, I know one of the athletes I work with um, talks about we rather than I. Um, some people might be pretty freaked out by that, saying that's a lack of ownership. I embrace it because I think I know why he's in the sport. And that's, that's for relationships and not just for standing on top of the podium. He needs more than that. So... Yeah, we tried to do it in many different ways. I guess what I would say is that whilst everyone is an expert to a degree in their field, um, no single person owns a problem or a solution. So definite crossover when we have our our sessions, our connections where we challenge each other is that I guess we're really clear on the intention from the athlete front to start with. They they drive that. And I guess the more and more they're maturing and developing and confident, they're able to really rock that. They, they pretty much lead all their meetings now, um, which is cool. Try and, try, and give, try and give. They don't always use PowerPoint, which is really cool. Yeah, I um, mean, that would, be, that would be a dream in rugby that we upskilled and supported people to be able to do that from a really early, you know, from, a, from as, yeah, as soon as possible, really, that they can go, well, this, these are what my needs are. This is where we're going. You know, this is how I need you. This is where you can help me. Could you please stop doing that, please? Type stuff. Yeah. 
And I guess that's, I mean, it's not easy, Rusty, you know, it's like, I chatted this week about coach-athlete relationships. And I think for me, most important relationship any of us will ever have is with ourselves. Because everything starts with that. How you see uh, interrelations, how I react to my daughter telling me she wants to play 24-7. I love play, but when I'm like, yeah, no, nah, stick Netflix on. You know, that starts with me. Ends with Wait, me. Is she allowed to play in the show home? She's, she's allowed to play in the show, as long as it's hoovered nightly. <laughs> <laughs> she's allowed. I spilled a beer where I'm sitting last night, I tell you. It's, yeah, it's going to cost me that. But there we the go. forensic psychologist was immediately onto it, taking swans. Exactly. It was live on a call with our <laughs> NCT group up in Nottingham as well, so I was named and shamed directly. Um, yeah, it starts with self. So I guess the challenge for us as coaches, our psych talk's really good on this. She says the main purpose of coaching is, is to connect the learner with self. So to foster that sense of self-awareness in the person you're working with. And I guess in order to do that, you've got to know yourself. And that takes time. Like, I've, I guess I've chatted around some stuff today where I've completely, you know, changed my version of myself and how I see things, how I, how I view myself in different environments. And it will continually evolve. I think if I listen to this back in 10 years, I'll say, what was that guy on about? What was he doing? Was yes, well, Andy Abraham, I spoke to Andy yesterday and he was, he sent me a, a, a paper and he, and he said, oh, just when you read it, just so you know, I would write it differently now, very differently. I thought, how cool is that? That's the reality. Yeah. We just had a, it was just a moment in time. So I guess how I'll bring that back to our performance support team in our language. We're, we love acronyms in our, in our sport, mate. PST is one. PST. Yeah, love that. Um, I guess there's a, there's a sense for the demand on everyone in that team, in that support team of the athlete, that they, they really know the person. Um, starts with the person first, and we go from there, and then the paddler comes in. So that comes to the point of how they choose to interact with that person will be based upon that person's needs or, or the appropriate stretch to that person on a given day. So I'll give you an example. Um, uh, Cheats is really hot on this. So he, he talks about, um, I guess, that level of understanding your team or understanding the people so that you understand what is a stretch to some. So for you and I, for us to do Fancy Dress Friday with the kids, we'll go bananas, probably won't be embarrassed, probably a level one stretch. Um, there's people I have or do coach who maybe changing the colour of the socks, as Cheats put it, is a level three stretch. Yeah. You know, that's going to that's gonna cause some serious cognitive overload, behavioural change and perhaps a, a lack of energy towards projects. And I guess it's like that. So it comes down to where we place ourselves in meetings, where we have meetings, you know, whether we are establishing eye contact or whether we're not, depending on what we're talking about, because that might, be, might bring out more openness. Um, there's that sense of depth to the relationship that we're really afforded because we work on such a small scale. I guess there are ways um, of, that we try to do that even within the practice design as well. Um, you know, how do you get to know the athletes by the session you design, um, by how you design it? And that's definitely, I think, some stuff we've learned from you guys when you have big numbers. You can't have a, you know, <laughs> I would very much be the, known as the coach who was sat, sat consoling or, you know, very much the sort of therapist-style coach spending hours on the riverbank listening to people uh, and trying to influence back in the day. Um, but I think that what that does is build, build an understanding and a sense that they know you're there for them and committed to what they're there to do. What does hierarchy look like in your PST, PTSP, 
STSTP? What does where does that <laughs> where does that exist? What how does that yep. feel? So in rugby, coaches king reality. Yep. It would be very rare that there might be some quite strong SNCs in some environments historically that have kind of ruled the roost and you know this player's off now because they've done this and uh, it would be really rare for there to be a psychologist that would have a big voice in my experience yeah. uh, clearly exactly. not ever, I'm, I'm generalizing um there'd be lots of places where a psychologist doesn't exist um analyst is definitely bottom of the f- food chain in rugby uh, both mm. financially and how they're treated um generalizing but it's a pretty reasonable generalization. How does <laughs> how does that look like in your world? Because this is really, you know, this is super important in your world, how all these people yeah. work together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can tell you how I'd like it to look, um, and you can feel free to get them on next time and challenge that. I, I, I want it to look flat. Um, I would say I'm seen as the coordinator. I don't think that's a hierarchical position. Um, that's more the fact that I spend the most time with the person, I would say, um, and probably just want an overview. But the reason I say it's flat, so I'm really clear that when we have these meetings and the athletes drive them, that everybody connects and understands their cog in the wheel, their piece in the jigsaw. So it frustrates me when an athlete kind of jumps on a podium you know, consistently. A kudos goes to the coach. Coach gets the text, kudos goes to the athlete, you know, you get interviewed, all that, but nothing goes, nothing dissipates to the absolute, you know, workhorses underneath that have done all the grind, really. So, yeah, I want them to understand what their role in success is from the athlete's words as well, not from what I see as that. So that's really important. So try and keep it a flat hierarchy. Um, Everyone's equal. Everyone communicates um, we do have little breakouts. You know, it's not that everybody needs to be in the picture all the time. Um, but definitely try and keep it as flat as possible. Would that be the same across the sport? Um, it's difficult to know. When you're working quite individual, you, you can get quite insular to your bubble. And you don't get that close to other people's bubbles. I would say it varies. It varies, but it's reasonably, reasonably common for people to try and bring their team as one to the table. And I would say the, the athlete is king, depending on their stage on the journey um, and what their needs are generally. And then the coaches, uh, I, I don't buy into this making yourself redundant. I think you're doing a rubbish job as a coach if you can ever make yourself redundant. It means you're not learning enough to take it to yeah, another I level. A, I think it's a, a soundbite statement that probably isn't that helpful. I mean, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not invigorating me to carry on coaching if I'm going to one day make myself redundant. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Did make myself redundant in twenty uh, in twenty eighteen. <laughs> um, <the laughs> by disagreeing, uh, the um, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think it's that useful. I think it's uh, you would. I think I think I think the intention is that people p- p- perhaps think that coaches are doing too much and they should probably do less. But so, what would it look like? So the last one was obviously on the water. So um, I'm aware. I'm, I, I quote this figure, but I might be wrong. And I can't remember if you told me it. So when you turn on the water. That's like uh, Lee Valley or something. It costs seven hundred yeah. pounds. Seven hundred pounds an hour. That's right? what we charge you. We get it cheaper. Yeah. Um, no, so yeah. Uh, if I go back five years, I think the electric bill to run it for an hour. So this is bad in this environment. Um, 
is was about 250 pounds the bill the electric <laughs> bill and that's not, not what we pay i think if a foreign nation wants to come here as they were to train for the europeans pre-lockdown i think they pay around 400 pounds for 450 pounds for an hour's worth of water cool so i guess what i'm saying is nick and, and you could go all the way up to fast jets which are about 50, i think they're about fifty thousand an hour or you could go all the way down to hiring a fire for, for side pitch i think what i'm trying to say is that for you guys um time is money or time is precious clearly um you could you couldn't be on the water all the time anyway so i guess what i'm curious about is in, in a build-up to a session what does it look like during a session what does it look like because i would imagine you know 50 minutes of, of Craig Morris talking and five minutes of paddling isn't that useful and then after it a can session, happen <laughs> if that uh, you know and, and after a session what what type of things would be and look clearly would vary but what would be some typical things that would go on yeah sure um, so I guess there'd be clarity on what we're there to do first of all so like you say there's, there's a bit of language in there that make, make every drop count um, and that is you know part of being publicly funded as well as you know you want to make the most of your time out there um so clarity on what we're there to do that'll come out of those meetings that we've chatted around um athlete projects where it fits in in the cycle of work um and how that because the, the key thing is mate that so we whilst we would love to have athletes setting practice design environment um because a lot of like my boss would quote as like 80 percent of our coaching is, is how we set the environment. The rest is just them doing. Uh, and then maybe how we assist a reflective process. So we will spend, um, so knowing their intentions, if I'm, so we work in groups, so obviously it's, it's uneconomical for me to work one to three on 250 pounds worth of electric an hour. We need more people there to make that happen. So I'm having to balance, which has been a big challenge to me in terms of like the non-linear sort of approach to, to this stuff. Um, balance other people's groups in our environment i guess it's like having six different rugby teams play on the same pitch yeah, at the yeah. same time at the same time for an hour well uh, andy abraham so apology andy abraham yesterday said that oddly they've all the junior section have been using the same one pitch all season so that clearly impacts upon your your practice design and and coaching yeah. and you know so our conversation was really around well look we have this his view of the world and what coaching is and what it isn't and we can have some quite long words the reality is is often different so oh yeah for sure and you know you've got within that and you'll have maybe so there'll be 20 athletes on there uh their ability from um i guess age groups sort of 14 15 standard to olympic standard you've got eight coaches of different philosophies um trying to trying to fix into that so communication is critical um so on a, on a, you know, I know you talk a lot about what is your ideal day or your best first day. My best day at work would be involve me having control of the environment. So I'd, we'd have a clear view of what, what we were working on on that day. Um, therefore, I have a clear view of what the environment needs to be set to keep my mouth shut as much as possible once they start practice effectively. Um, so, you know, the, the fluidity for it to go where it goes, I definitely plan a lot less than I used to around that now um so i'll i'll get in an hour an hour and a half we get in the riverbed we sling the gates around um to different scenarios that will challenge the intention of the work um and i guess that particular individual like you say there's there's considerations wider than that in that i've got to talk to another six coaches 
and have a bit of bit of give and, give and take on that. Um, and then during the session, um, hopefully you see some smiles and a bit of fun. You probably see me doing a lot of weird body language moves. <laughs> I, I need to do a key for that at some point. What do you mean, by, um, what do you mean by, like weird body language moves? Obviously, I mean. The nature of the environment, it's loud, roaring white water, and it's often very windy down here in Lee Valley as well. So, I mean, I, don't, I try not to speak too much during practice these days anyway, and I do talk a lot, as you well know, so it's a big challenge for me. But it's difficult to communicate by voice over water. Um, definitely wouldn't communicate during performance. It would be maybe in like little rest periods or transition periods or when they come around, so we're fortunate these days, they get, they get a free ride on an escalator back to the top, don't even have to get out of the boat. It's like being the queen. Um, really? Man, that's pretty cool. Would you, and, and when you say you wouldn't communicate during performance, is that because they wouldn't hear you or you don't think it's useful? Or Because I see lots of uh, Sunday morning uh, parents and coaches doing a lot of communication during uh, performance. Much of it, uh, multiple different words. <laughs> yeah I've, I've seen that as well seen that as well um i guess bottom line is i i can't i don't see the point and i can't communicate on a race day so why would i bring that extra information processing overload into that environment i have that said explored you know i, I got a gymnastics coach to come and see what we did um a while back um Again, brilliant. He just said, why don't, why don't you mic them up? Why, why, why can't you talk to them in their ear mm. while they're going through? Um, I thought, that's interesting. I've considered that. And I went away and thought, but rejected it for the time being. Um, didn't try it, so maybe should. But I guess when we talk about decision-making and adaptability and the coupling of that in the moment, it's like, I don't want to add any data to that. Um, and that needs to be a largely non-conscious process. Um, so whilst there might be some value in like, understanding how they're, I think there's the stuff Amy Whitehead around Think Aloud, um, whilst there might be some value in that, I'm yet to, to really understand it in terms of what it means for the race day. And I guess bottom line, you get to it, when you're on a big race day, mate, they're not going to hear me. You know, there's a, we, we do, contrary to popular belief, get the odd person watching Canoe Slalom here and there. Um, I think we had 12,500 at London games, so you're just not going to hear anything. Um, there's enough noise in the performance for the athletes process, so it's not my job to add any more. Yeah, maybe you, uh, maybe you could mic yourself up and the and the paddler up and just compare notes afterwards. Just swap over and just see if you saw the same things. If you were, and maybe that would give you some good insight into your kind of noticing skills as a coach as well. So they yeah, don't I think connect so. it up. I think even just talking about. I've noticed the water's this. I mean, I'm just imagining I'm a paddler now. I've noticed the water's this. So I'm going a little bit further to the right and I'm going to, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, it's really interesting. So I guess that does happen in, in to, to move towards the post. That happens in or even during the practice before they transition because they've got to go back to the top reasonably regularly to start again. So you, you get an, op an optional time for feedback if you want to use it. Um, I guess there is that sense check of like, um what what were you seeing um sh sh i guess you've got the old you know sh show me how you're making sense of that show me what that means to you for your next effort um and i think that is part of doing that is is that and we're doing that now because we're doing a bit of imagery visualization now on lockdown just trying to get the sensations of of paddling canoe neurologically in a in a as mine is out here probably four meter square garden is quite challenging yeah uh, Peter, Peter Walton, no, um, so 
Yeah, we spoke the other day with Marcus, with Marcus actually on the pod about, so Peter Walton did a lot of visualization and I find it really hard. Like it makes me want to laugh because I've had some poor experiences with it. And uh, Marcus, who, I, who used to go into all the meetings and I was like, why is Marcus going in? He did say, he lo- I mean, he loved it. And it was, they used to do it pre-match and the players really, you know, really valued it and actually had, well, that, they would say it would have an impact upon their performance. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Been wrestling with a few few things around it this week. So I know there's a lot of work gone on in air sport as like if you, you know, visualizing the amount of strokes you do, I don't doesn't really align to the way I see the sport these days. But visualizing, you know, there's a perception that if you're able to visualize in the rough time zone of the actual performance, I it takes you a hundred seconds to paddle that course. If I can visualize it and it takes me ninety-eight, then I'm pretty skilled. I'm not sure. I, I'm yet to be convinced if that's correct. You know, like we tell, at risk of going over it again, if we go back to every individual sees things in different ways, and that's the big thing to come out of when you, I guess, when you go into the divergent questions of trying to elicit what they see from them, it's pretty clear they all see it in different ways and make sense of it in different environments. So my one lens over it is useless because, you know, I, I still make communication errors and misunderstandings with people I've been working with eight years every day and it's I guess I don't understand if the speed of processing in real time is better to have than it is if you see it really quickly when you roll back um so wrestling with some stuff around that and we're exploring it um what would would reflection look like so both for the athlete and and for you like post a session how would how would you reflect upon it yeah I guess predominantly depends on what we're there to do sometimes we wouldn't Sometimes there'd be no reflection and sometimes there'd be quite a bit. Um, sometimes it'd be bank side and done. Quite often, my guys love a bit of video, love watching themselves paddle. Um, so quite often be involved in that. I guess predominantly led by them. And that's been a process of evolution over time. Certainly wouldn't have been the case, um, you know, five, five years ago with some of them. But predominantly led by them around their intention. You know, what, what, what was good? What can we carry forward? We try and coach to strengths in general. We can chat about that a bit more from an athlete perspective if, if we get time. Um, and what could be improved? Uh, and their feedback on that, because I'm not, I'm not trying not to have an ego in terms of that my version of the environment set is going to hit the brief for them and they need to align to that. It's more about what's, what's making sense, what's working for them in terms of having the end in mind. And what about so, you? Yeah, uh, bank, about you stuff. What about Sorry. you? So, what about you as a coach? So, what yeah. does what does kind of your coach development look like? Yeah, so I'd, I'm not a big reflector in terms of writing down, but my head is just constantly on the grind of reflection. It's very, very noisy. Um, I, yeah, hearing Eddie the other day it was, I think, so. Well, it was someone quoting Eddie, wasn't it? Saying, "Oh, yeah, he's just always thinking rugby." I guess I'm always thinking learning. Um, really, I think canoeing canoeing's just the vehicle for that at the moment. Um, I say to people, yeah, I'm, I, I, I love people, I'm obsessed with learning, and I like canoeing. Um, so for me, I guess I have a share an office. We're not open plan, which is maybe not ideal, but in terms of working individually and having like private environments to have good conversations, it's really good. Um, but we share an office. A guy called Gaz is probably my main uh, buddy, for want of a better word, in terms of sharing coaching practice. 
sounding board for ideas. Um, more formally, I'm on a coach leader course for UK Sport. I've been on some courses over the years then. That puts me across different people in different environments. Um, I had a chat with a guy from rowing this week. Um, there's a sport that you wouldn't enjoy, I assume. I actually um, uh, was offered a job with rowing a long time ago. And I didn't go. because I was thinking, I wouldn't get that excited by that. I mean, my development will be cross-check, cross challenge and support across um, the athlete support team. So Sykes, S&C, um, yeah, physio, PA, all of them. Um, then within the coaching team in our sport, probably predominantly a couple of people. And then I get the vast majority of my check will be from different environments. So whether it's checking in with you um, or via webinars with people like Cheats, um, Come on, tell just me about getting that challenge from an external point of view. Nice. Let's give cheats some. Let's talk about cheats. The Lord Mayor of Win Winchester. You and the Lord Mayor are very. Uh, you've got a good bromance going on, haven't you? There's a good bromance, mate. He's been a Samaritan at the minute. He rang me um, yesterday in an absolute torrent of rain, and he was queuing up to get some groceries because he's uh, he's getting shopping for a 90-year-old in his village. He volunteered to do the, the shopping runs for some of the elderly in his village. So, yeah. Of course he is. Awesome. What goes on with Cheats? Yeah, I guess Cheats was introduced to me through coach developer of ours, Mike, at the time. Um, really from the game side. So I was trying to get a bit more of a playful sort of games type gamification, as you've now sort of labelled your angle on it um, with Amy over the years. Um, so he came in and um, I remember the one day he came in, actually, I didn't know him. And uh, I asked who he was when he'd left. And I was completely embarrassed about my practice because it, so, <laughs> it looked so boring. And it was like repetition, as much as you can do repetition in our sport. It's, it's, no, no, no second rep is ever a true repetition. But yeah, it looked awful, mate. I had the iPod out, iPad out feeding back, you know, too much noise. Um, but then I got him in a few, few months later um, just to just to chat around my intention to bring a more playful games-based gamification um, end in mind sort of practice to the sport, but from a non-sporting specific background. And, what's, yeah. and what, what's his impact been? Give me some examples of some stuff that's kind of influenced you. I mean, some basic stuff. I know you guys chatted about it on the, the pod you did with him basically. So, um, just observing uh, how we put a lack of, um, how we seem to claim that the warm-up or preparation phase is important, yeah. um, but we actually don't. None of, the, none of the coaches show up for it because we're busy in the riverbed waiting for the water to come on, setting the, the environment there. Um, and his, his statement was, you know, he's, he's, just, he's, a, he's a bit like the Buddha for me, mate. He's very, very serene and calm, isn't he? So he comes and he's going... And there's no assumptions, is there? It's just like, I've made an observation. What, when, when I watched X warm up or prepare for the session, I wasn't sure what the session was going to be based on what I saw. Uh, other little things like, so he, he said, you know, as soon as we go over the start line, we go down a bit of a hill. And he said, I imagine they've got thousands of decisions coming at them in an instant. How many did they make in the preparation phase? Um, it was just like, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks. Wow. Yeah. Um, so little, little stuff like that. 
I think Kaz spoke about that, didn't he, on the webinar the other day about how often do we prime the brain for learning as opposed to priming the the physical part. So in rugby, you know, you'll see some stuff going on that might not be mentally preparing them for the game. And it's really interesting. So getting over some constraints, like which I guess I've done better in the last five years. And I, I definitely have a no excuses rule now. So I talked about if I want to set the environment like this, I've got to manage that around six other coaches, 20 other athletes. Like there are ways to break that excuse, um, communication being one. When I bring that back to like that decision-making stuff, so we, uh, sorry, the warm-up stuff or preparation stuff, so we warm up almost exclusively on flat water because, and then they go over it and you're not allowed on the rough water and then you go over a drop into this insanely environment that is completely different to the preparation phase. And that's the same at the Olympic Games. Like in Tokyo, there's, there's no white water to warm up on. So you're, you're basically preparing in an... It's like preparing in the locker room to go out and do, do a rugby match, I guess. It's yeah. like, there's got to be an element of creativity about how you do it. Um, and otherwise, to be honest, it's bloody boring as well. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be the one that said that. I mean, what? Um, and, and, and about the people that you're running, uh, that you're the part that you're coaching at the moment. I mean, how are how are they doing globally? Is is GB doing some cool stuff? Which of the nations are are doing some cool stuff? I'm I'm definitely curious. Is there like countries that you know just happen to have really good rivers, and so people are really good at paddling? What's the what's the script? <laughs> Certainly are, certainly have been. I guess it's been an Eastern European dominated sport over the years. Slovakia, Czech, um, Germany as well. Um, I guess it used to be all run on natural rivers and that's been the big shift. So, I mean, races used to be so long, so long, like 300 seconds back in the day. Now, right. now we're down to like anything between sort of 70 and 100. So it's a completely different sport. It's all pumped artificial for the control element because what you'd have is... I guess in the more professional nature of sport these days, being in the Olympics and whatnot and funding, you would have uh, people paddle on a river in the morning. If it had rained the night before, the river had come up and the race would just be completely different in the afternoon. Yeah. So that sense of fairness or justification wasn't there. Um, so whilst it's been pretty bad for the environment, it's, um, yeah, it has leveled, leveled things out a little bit. Uh, what are we considered? I think I had a chat with a guy from Austria. I think we considered to have a strong team and I mean that from a staffing perspective as well like that sense of working for each other is probably yeah really enriching where everyone's pretty egoless we work for each other on the athlete front I think we're one of the better funded programs I would think we're seen as being quite systematic which yeah kind of sits uncomfortable with me in some ways in terms of how I see development of young people and we're probably reshaping that a little bit more uh, and learning as we go through that, you know, we're being through phases of talent ID and stuff like that. Um, at the highest level, I guess we're probably sitting in the top sort of five nations generally who, who bring home the medals. Um, but quite often, in it's often only one or two, not just in our country. Or we we're probably known for bringing them home from more people, yeah. uh, whereas some nations it's just one person absolutely smashing it every week. Who's got a river at the bottom of their garden? What, uh, what does talent ID look like in your world? Just quickly, I was just curious about that. Do you get people from other sports or is it a, you were, you were born a paddler, you were, you, know, you were raised by Robinson Crusoe type stuff? And maybe not Robinson Crusoe, he's trapped on an island. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been good at paddling. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I guess the, the organic view is, um, yeah, you just kind of get a real blend of people from clubs, really. And it's quite often, often people who are, who are like a bit isolated from team sports and stuff, actually. You know, you get, you get the people who weren't picked for the football team, probably, and stuff like that, the people who love the outdoors. And it's quite, a, it's quite an interesting sport in that you live a bubble. Like I speak for myself when I was a kid. Like, you know, you're going away for a weekend. You're lucky you're not seeing your mates. You're in a field somewhere in the mountains of Wales, you know, there's no phone signal back in the day. Um, so you kind of get, that was the organic way. That's changed, I guess. We don't have a strong club structure. So there's a feeling that in order to sustain our pathway or to maintain a flow and strength in depth, we had to influence that a little bit more. So Talent ID came in at that point. Um, we get people, yeah, from different sports. I guess we look for people with an athletic um, wide background um, different movement patterns I guess it's hard to keep that in terms of not specialising too early just the demands on time of clearing off for a weekend to a competition in the middle of nowhere pretty pretty, pretty right um, I don't think we got it right yet if I'm honest but we, it depends really because we go we only do it in a couple of places we do it at Lee Valley we've done it in Nottingham so you get in local catchment areas so up in Knotts I know there's people who've been at the Forest Academy Knotts Forest Academy who have trialled Right. And there's been some gymnasts up in knots. Um, yeah, gymnasts have been good kind of donor sport, I would imagine. Yeah, um, I guess like anything power to weight that haven't got any legs is probably useful. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, for us, um, anything where upper body strength has been developed, um, whilst it can be developed later on, right? depends how early you're looking at, really, I suppose. Um, but in terms of managing injury risk and stuff like that, yeah, I guess. A lot of people who've come from gymnastics, where well, it can either go either way, they're quite brittle or they're quite, you know, and just their body and space and time quite well and it transfers nicely. Nice. Last thing I was curious about, and you've mentioned the word environment a lot, I think you mean, I think you mean also the environment in terms of what the course looks like, but what do you, what do you mean when you say that word? Yeah, so... I do, when I've referred to it on the call, I guess I'm specifically um, specifically got in my head the image of how we set the challenges on there. So um, on the white water, on the course, on the day. So we have these gates. We have hundreds of gates at Lee Valley that we can set sequences on and set the challenges on that would replicate something or overload something they may face on a race day. Um, part of that, I guess in terms of what I make sense of the wider environment would be, I guess, what, what is the learner's role in that? And how do they lead on that? How do, how does it all link to the end in mind stuff? So uh, how does the design of the practice and the environment um, demand solution to problems, cause problems and um, like, yeah, dictate that mistakes will happen um, that facilitate I guess a lot of the way I see coaching is it's just an extension of life. You know, you're trying to develop all these skills that will transfer. It's just that you happen to be doing it in a sports-specific environment. There's very little difference under, other than, yeah, as we talked about with my attempts at potentially coaching rugby one day, you've got, you've got to have a bit of content knowledge. Um, so the wider environment, I guess it comes back to the James Bell stuff as well. Like how people feel is like, what is that space around you and how are we influencing it? So so that people feel safe and good about being there and want to be there more. I feel like they're growing from being there, regardless of performance almost as well. 
and performance is a is a is a strand to that that clearly we're all committed to um but it's not the be all and end all what three words do you hope if i asked one of the paddlers uh, uh give, give me three words to describe craig morris what three words would you would you love them to say what would be your dream three words dream three or what, or what i would say no dream three words dream three words okay i'll do my three as um, well we'll do them alternate okay cool um understanding caring curious challenging energetic curious i didn't want to say it just after you but <laughs> the one they would say that i didn't want to put in there is weird get told i'm weird quite a lot <laughs> okay otherwise another person's curious mate one person's that's it mate, i'm going to finish with the one worders um yeah rugby you thanks canoeing enabler coaching vehicle family home olympics Exciting. Magic Academy. Debt. Richard Cheetah, MBA. <laughs> Buddha. Buddha. Right, he's so relaxed. So his voice, his voice just calms me in an instant. I bet he isn't when we're not around. I bet he goes home and he throws stuff around. And <laughs> it's so tiring being nice to people. Do my head in. I'm sure I just want to qualify that when I say debt, mate. It's like I feel like there's a bit that I owe a debt to you guys for, um, yeah, the risk of it being a bromance here definitely made a big impact on my work mate, and my evolution as a coach. So the feeling is mutual, mate. If people want to reach out and grab you, where can they find you? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, generally voyeuring, but um, also posting, mate. I think I uh, upset the Twitter arty with a five word tag today. Did you? Um, what did you put? Yeah, I used it to sort of, uh, what was it? When will nominations stop? And I, I, I didn't add an emoji in with a wink or anything. Yeah, it's gone down with like a chocolate tooth. Yeah, uh, it's taken up a lot of my timeline, I've got to be honest. <laughs> I don't like putting nominations on people. Anyway, no. uh, yeah, on Twitter, just looking up the handle, um, at Morris Craig, capitals for the MNC underscore. And yeah, you can get me British Canoon, um, craig.morrisbritishcanoon.org.uk or numbers through yourself i guess yeah more than happy to connect learn a lot from so many people in your world and other sports so it's been a pleasure and we'll continue to be mate nice and one day we will paddle together just don't the bus will come to leave alley one day just a flat water bit for me please um, oh. have a cool day and, and and look we'll speak soon yeah take care mate cheers all the best